This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Welcome to another on the road version of Waterfall Wednesday. My hands are bloody from all the geese feet. Never mind. First hunt of the season. <laughs> we crushed them. I have not missed yet this year. I haven't missed either. I have not missed. Perfect, perfect season so far. Well, that's what the plan was, to go out and get skunked today. Pretty much, pretty much. I think that's how you uh, contacted me earlier in the week. You're like, hey, you want to go out and uh, not shoot anything on opener? That's how we ended our show <laughs> last week. And I did go scouting on Sunday and uh, out around my cabin, and there just was not a lot of birds around, even in the traditional areas. And I, I mean, I really don't care. I, I'm more interested in shooting migrators anyways, but... Just the fact that, you know, we could buy our licenses and go out to the field. I, I called the landowner that I knew he would say yes. Drove past his hay field. There's nothing in it or in the area, and I gave him a call. And uh, I said, hey, uh, would you mind if I just set some decoys up in the hay field for, uh, for opener? And he goes, oh, wow, yeah, opener is uh, on uh, Wednesday, isn't it? All right. Uh, yeah, no problem. He goes, the hay field though and I go yeah you know we're uh, you know the hay field I've hunted before he goes all right but I, I got a barley field and I kicked a bunch of geese out of it last night Ooh. wouldn't you rather hunt out there and I was like uh yeah <laughs> yeah yes I would that probably yes, is would. a better option and so uh actually hopes were a lot higher than a skunk and he said something like some other guys asked about hunting and we couldn't hunt till this afternoon anyways, and 
I stopped and talked to him and he said, yeah, nobody was out there. So we went and checked the barley field. We found goose feathers in it. Somebody probably, you know what it was? A goose flew over, just shed a feather earlier in the summer. You, you know why we didn't see anything? It's this damn teal hunters. I bet they blew every roost out. It's the teal hunters blowing the roost yeah, up. They migrate. Yeah. They force them to migrate. They're gone. To the other states that have a teal season. But a lot of people do experience <laughs> uh, disappearing geese like a week prior or even a few days prior to uh, to opening day. That's very, very common. And, and well, another reason I don't get too excited about scouting in mid-August. Well, while it's a, a cut barley field, which is generally a really good thing it was cut a long time ago yeah the small grains came off a, yeah. a while back the regrowth in there in the grass and the weeds and stuff was it wasn't like overly tall or anything but you could tell that it's it had been a few weeks oh for sure and uh birds are just moving around every night the last three nights and tonight as well will be a great migrate migration weather birds are just going to be seeking out fresh or new different food sources um Molt migrants started coming out of the Arctic and subarctic about probably a week ago, 10 days ago. So getting a lot of questions too, like, is it, are birds going to push? Are birds going to push? Are birds going to push? Yes, they are pushing. Birds are currently pushing at any moment the weather says to push. Right now that's been at night. We've had three really good migration nights, four, maybe four in a row now. We just can't see that. We can't observe it. We just wake up to a new Monopoly board every single morning. So there hasn't been any good daytime migration weather. Where's our third shifters that can report in? Do you hear any honking that night? And and they're going to be pushing too, but it's just how far are they going to make it? You know, so they'll, they'll push on every good opportunity they have, but how many opportunities do they have? How long do those opportunities last? When it's overnight, their, their opportunity ends when the sun starts to make an orange glow on the horizon. That's the end of the their opportunity, and they land. Well, it's going to be interesting because most of the, if not all, of like the small grain fields that I know about have been cut for a long time. So this year is just going to be a little bit different as far as fields that are going to be, if people are chasing feeds, like where, where are these feeds going to be? They're going to have to be in like freshly cut like hay fields or alfalfa or something. Like the, the small grains are kind of probably not going to play. Well, the geese do kind of eat a lot of regrowth. and uh, But the, at, at some point, the regrowth is grass. Like, shin-high grass. Yeah. And they're not fucking with that. No. But I think we'll also still see where the soybeans are going to start coming off in a couple of weeks. And those things are drying out fast. Yeah, and uh, there's been a lot of silage getting cut. And I always kind of thought maybe silage might, might be one of the the reasons that molt migrants show up when they do because it kind of correlates that's probably not as true as i once thought it was but there is a correlation maybe not a causation but if there is any sort of a causation that's going to happen earlier yeah we've talked about before but it's like what are they doing in silage fields like there's not much waste grain so, some of them have a lot of waste grain but yeah it's just some but i wonder if it's like almost fresh gravel a lot of gravel, well, gravel out there. or just like fresh shoots of different kinds of grasses and weeds that have kind of like been they're not getting any sunlight because of the corn and then once the corn comes off they like you know get some fresh 
new shoots of some sort. And I think it's, they must have like a variety. It's definitely a multi-use terrain where geese go out there, not just for corn waste grain, but also for gravel or even just for a chill spot because silage fields are the one, the one feed scenario, you could say feed in quotation marks here, but where guys start losing birds coming to traditional feeds in the morning time because it gets around that freezing temperature and it's sunny out, guys hunting silage fields do not have that problem. They typically still have birds that come out. So there is a breakfast or a morning chill vibe mm. to a um, to a silage field. wonder, when is it... I should keep a log book, but Miller's always that, like, little window of time where the geese start water feeding or whatever it's a, a bug or some kind of aquatic plant yeah that, that happens every year yeah i wonder when that it like i bet that's probably a calendar thing you would think I, I think it has to do with temperature on the landscape because the vegetation starts to die out from the water the water vegetation which is going to clear out more well, water to look around for food and I think what they're really eating is those macro invertebrates and I think we've talked about the spiny headed worm if you go to the Ducks Unlimited website or just google Ducks Unlimited spiny headed worm you can read about how there's a parasite it completes its life cycle only in the intestines of a duck or a goose and it's it infects macro invertebrates in ponds and it makes them swim towards the shallow warm light surface water and get scooped up by a duck or a goose so when whenever that happens and maybe there's several parasites that do that and other factors that just make that water sourced food easier to acquire for a duck or a goose well some aquatic weeds die off in late summer and early fall but other aquatic weeds start growing oh all right and really fall. like you can find green weeds under the ice all winter long lake, okay lake depending I'm so, very ignorant to water shit. Yeah, so this is <laughs> so this is something that I know because I am the F word. I am a fisherman. I do fish. And we utilize cameras a lot under the ice. And that's one of the things you look for. You look for green weeds. So live weeds growing up under the ice. So, yes, there is a summertime die-up of weeds. But when it's like when the weather starts turning colder, you'll get some new growth. Now, it'd be interesting to see if they are going for those worms or some sort of invertebrate aquatic invertebrate or if there if there's a a new growth because generally when birds are eating or you know any kind of vegetation they like the new shoots it's like um, i said when the when the grass gets so tall they're not eating the tall grass they right. like, like the short shit so if there's some new grass growing up that could be what they're going for absolutely especially out in like a you mean like a silage field or are we talking water like water like oh, yeah, a, yeah. that they, time they of year like yeah, the birds didn't show up like no, they haven't been seeing any feeds and next thing you know it's like you just see a bunch of ass up in the air geese feeding on on these bodies of water and it's a short window of time but they definitely every year it does happen where it's like well they switch to a water feed you know it's like weird i wish i knew more about it but i mean a goose's diet and i've been getting questions like you know, why are geese going here and not there? You know, why are they not going to a silage field, but they're going to a hay field? And I mean, the truth of a goose's diet is it is extremely variable and there's goose food everywhere. There's goose food in every pond, every lake, every soccer field, every cut agriculture field, underneath every oak tree, there is goose feed and goose food for them to get. So I don't know. I, 
what is it, anthropomorphize when you, mm-hmm. yeah, when you wake up in the morning, you have options, but you don't choose baby back ribs every morning, you know, like, <laughs> right. baby back ribs are pretty fucking good, but, you know, some, you, as a person, you're like, I'm gonna have a bowl of Cheerios with a banana in it, I'm gonna have some scrambled eggs, animals do the same thing, especially an animal with a, such a varied diet as a large Canada goose. It seems to like some like corn can come out and then they're they're feeding in cornfields and then if we get that you know that Indian summer where it suddenly gets hot they seem to abandon those grains and go back to grass during that that heat spill I don't know if like the corn gives off they get more calories and it's just too hot for them or they want a light lunch or something but I've seen that too it's like all of a sudden they're feeding in the medians in town instead of going out to the fields where you scouted them two days before but it's also usually. 85 fucking degrees that day and, and they also do that even colder like in the winter like you'll still you'll see geese going out to like lightly snow covered soccer fields and stuff and i think that has something to do with especially if it's like a south-facing slope and it's getting direct sunlight that soil is getting warmer than 32 degrees and the grass is probably growing you give it a couple days it could a be. little bit yeah it could be growing too i wonder if there isn't a like when something when certain things freeze the sugar content goes up I wonder if that has something to do with it so you've got a grass field it gets a frost and while it's still green it has a high sugar content so therefore it's going to be a high energy source and and waterfowl do have an annual cycle for their their diet preferences and it might have something to do with abundance and availability I mean you're talking about like a, a duck and a goose in May when they're going into ponds there is a huge insect yeah. biome out there yeah. that they are primarily feeding on you get species like widgeons and widgeons are a grazing duck they're one of the only ducks that feed in fields other than mallards and wood ducks widgeons are pretty much a hundred percent vegetarian diet but in the spring they'll go up to like 40 percent insects out of ponds just to and the biologists will say that's because they're doing egg production and they need a lot of protein and that's true they they do switch their diet over like when geese have their babies they're eating strictly pond shit you basically don't even see them up in the grass and that's for rapid growth but when they have pretty much attained their adult size and have also attained flight they're going to switch over to a high carb diet grains and also it becomes more available because that's when the grain fields are getting cut but now at this point they're not trying to grow so much as they are trying to get fat I think they have a it'd be interesting to see some studies done and maybe they haven't done I don't know like how how birds find a food source like do they see in a different spectrum like they can see the food source from a distance can is are they picking up on like chemical signals you know smells or some other heightened sense that we're not aware of because they sure seem to know like and we've talked about it. it's like how oh, do they, yeah how do they know that that grain field just got cut here's, here's a, like a weird like <laughs> hypothetical situation i've been thinking about in my head so you got like a random fucking park pond and there's 50 mallards sitting on it okay let's just say we go in there we kick them out and we put corn in one little weird corner of that pond not only will those 50 ducks come back and know exactly where that fucking corn is, <laughs> but there won't be 50. There'll be 250. Yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah. It's just weird how amazing they are at locating the source of their food. I, I think I've shared this theory with you before, probably on, on this podcast, but I think that they like have a sense of smell per se. 
and I think it works somewhat similar to like the way fish pick up on different chemical signals, like how a trout or a salmon can find their way back to a certain the same stream, stream every yeah. time because every stream has its own chemical makeup depending on the rocks and the swamps and this everything that it flows over right the things that drain into it you know certain streams are going to have more calcium magnesium you know all these other trace elements and, and heavy metals like each stream has its own fingerprint and that's what scientists think that these trout and salmon pick up on well if you look at the nose on a goose it's basically straight through so it's kind of like like there's always you know if they're flying or the wind's blowing there's constant information going through their face Right. It seems to me that that would there's probably some sort of receptors in there that are that are just constantly picking up all sorts of information. So if it's 60 miles away, somebody does cut a harvest, and the wind hits in the right direction, they're picking up on that information that there's a new food source in that general direction. I'm willing to accept it's something like smell, but not smell in the way we think of what that, smell yeah, is. Yeah, that's why I was like, it's more maybe more of a chemical, you know, like... It's just, it's just fucked up, like, that. going back to my pond scenario, like, you kick out those 50 mallards, and they won't... When they return, they're going right for that fucking tiny corner. They're not going for the logs they were sitting on, or, yeah. or up on the shore bank of the weird island. They're yeah, going they right for that corn. And maybe they can see it. You know, maybe the light, maybe the way their eyes work, too. Maybe it's no, like... No, but here's the thing, too, that people used to do, they too. They feed at night, though, so I don't know. Well, some ducks feed at night. But, like, there's a lot of people... Or I've read a book about market hunting and how people used to hide bait from the, the airplanes. So you'd, like, take, a uh, like, a tractor tire sink it in a pond and then you'd fill the inside rim with corn that way you can't see the corn from the airplane ah but the ducks the ducks know it's, the there. Ducks know the it's there so it's <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just fucking crazy that is pretty wild yeah i don't know don't do that by the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> new this year <laughs> yeah, dude, I, yeah that outlaw gunner is where i read that corn tire if you want to look up the book outlaw gunner it's 50 percent amazing shit about hunting around the turn of the century and 50 percent a manual of how to bait <laughs> and get away with it and trap <laughs> <laughs> What you want is pick up any spare washers and ball bearings and screws you can find, pack it into a punt gun. You know what, actually, that's actually a myth that the punt gun um, was packed, number one, with screws and nails and shit, because back in those days, lead shot was still much cheaper than yeah, nails probably, and screws. Yeah. So nobody shot sh weird shit out of punt guns, but punt guns weren't the death of market hunting. Actually, what was much, much, much more effective at killing massive amounts of ducks, mag tubes on a Browning A5. Hmm. The, the, you know, the, the Browning A5 was invented in 1905. It's a super reliable, super fast shooting, semi-automatic shotgun. And I think about six days later, the first guy put a tube extension on it. I've seen pictures of market hunters and they got A5s and they're, they got mar they got tubes going out past their barrel like snow goose hunters today do. You're just sneaking out there and a well, what, sneak boat or something or wading out into the tall what, grass. And what, just, yeah, what you do is you'd put a bait bug. pile out and then you'd let the ducks like cons like pile around the bait pile and then you'd get like a skull boat or a shiner boat and walk or just paddle out to them real gently and just see if you how tightly grouped you could get them. Whoosh! You get one. <laughs> You get one shot off that punt gun, you get what you get. Yeah, but bro, you get two when we were at that pond feeding those ducks there by the mall, 
you we, could get we could have done some damage. You could get a lot of ducks, <laughs> but not nearly the amount of ducks you could get with two guys popping up with twelve rounds yeah. of seven and a half lead skeet chokes in the gun. <laughs> I mean, we've all seen a successful snow goose jump. Right. You can't do that with a single shot of a pump gun. No. And that's where the three shot limit came in instantaneously was because the pump guns were fucking good but they couldn't hold a candle to A5s with mag tubes and that's where, I mean, duck devastation was being done. And you know too, like, when you read a book like that you start to realize that people were shooting a lot of ducks in those days. They were trapping fuck loads more than they were shooting. So sometimes I see those pictures with like 500 ducks mm-hmm. and I just wonder how many of those came out of a trap. Or a net or a trap. Yeah, yeah, sort, like a yeah. swimming trap. Yeah. Probably. Well, it's a good thing we don't have those days anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually those days, they went to the early 70s. There was still a pretty robust black market of waterfowl meats all around the country. Wow. Which is crazy. So you get into, like we talked earlier, like some people don't even eat ducks or geese they kill, which I saw there's something on Facebook. It's like somebody asked the question, like how many, how many people actually eat the ducks they shoot? And I was like, what? Why? There's people that like literally purposely go out to hunt and don't have any interest, not even or any uh, intent on eating these things. Like what? What the hell? What are you doing with them? Like you're not eating them. If you're not eating them, you should be gifting them. Number one, For I've sure. never, ever, ever like uh, I've come home with a couple of big piles of snow geese in the back of the truck, and I, I mean it's just one post. It's very easy to follow the tagging laws and the gifting laws. It's very, very simple, and you get people that are truly, truly appreciative of you giving them all this free meat. And, um, you know, if you don't like waterfowl meat, I think you got to look at how you're treating the bird after it's been killed. I mean, when they kill a cow, everything is done to preserve the quality of that meat. They don't set it out in the sun as a fake dead sleeper cow, you know? (laughs) Like, when you shoot a bird... You need to get that thing into shade immediately. Yeah. You need to put it breast facing up so the blood drains away from your meat and just treat it like I'm about to eat this thing. And I, when I started really like instantaneously getting the meat prepped for eating, like the quality and the taste quality just skyrocketed. I fucking love eating geese. The it's turn- it's lean, it's delicious. The turning them into sleepers is like that's such a hard habit to break from a lot of people. It's like you don't need them. No, well, you you just killed those over the decoys you had. What makes you think like putting those well, out is going to make just, it any I mean, better? What, what else are you going to do with them? Like, what are you going to put them inside people's layout blinds with them? This is why I, I'll oftentimes I'll have a, a stash spot. Now, if you're using a stash spot, you need to be using tags, which again is not that inconvenient. Right. I can't believe all the fucking talk I hear about people like, oh, I never heard about tags. Well, you fucking have now. So <laughs> maybe you just, it's four things. A signature, a dress, a date, and a species. You wrap it around the leg. It's so fucking easy. So like if you're using a stash you spot. You can have them pre-filled out. You can pre-fill them. It takes three seconds. People like are just adamant about admitting how many laws they like to break on you know like on podcasts and even guides like what the fuck it's i mean it's only been published in every 
like waterfall regulation handbook. You know, when I was thinking the about 30s. that, when I was toying, <laughs> toying with the idea of like, you know, if you were to guide layout boats on Malax or something like that, like because you have the tender boat, nobody actually has their like. If you're in, if you're the shooter in the layout boat, there's no room in there for your ducks. Like the tender boat's going to scoop them up in the net, and he's just going to keep them in the tender boat. So you'd almost have to have your tags pre-filled out you have to have tags to hunt yeah, yeah. So i mean because the guy in the boat's going to be over limit you know what i mean like right he's in possession of 12 12 birds and he's got three hunters out there and a you know the, the way the law reads if you just pull it just pull it up it's cfr 20-50 that's off the top of my head but cfi cfr just means federal regulation so it's federal it's not it's you don't need tags in your state you do <laughs> it's federal right. and it says like if you put any bird in a place so if you pick it up by nature of dropping it you have to put it in a place in a place is <laughs> behind each person's layout blind a place technically that's a place it exists in the universe it needs a tag and there's and people say well i've been checked by game wardens You've been checked by a state game warden. This is a federal regulation. State game wardens don't in, enforce other people's laws. That's not their department, you know? Right. That's like the IRS trying to bust you for narcotics. Well, it just means you're getting... You, and it's just like, okay, well, you got lucky. So that, that particular CEO, whether it's state or federal, didn't give a shit about that. Like, that happens. How many times you pass a cop and you know you're speeding and he doesn't pull you over? Right. So now that you know the law exists... Are you going to follow this very, very simple law? But anyways, we were talking about meat quality, but I, I'll bring, like, a ghillie blanket out sometimes. and You know, like, maybe find, like, a bale of hay or something. Just put it in the shadow behind that. Throw a ghillie blanket over the top of them. Um, if there's a standing cornfield, that's great to provide shade. Usually the ground's pretty cool. You can just kind of spread them out on the ground. Get the process of them cooling off started during the hunt. Just something like that's, you know, 20, 30 yards away. I can get rid of those dead birds. And here's something Joe Heinz actually taught me too, that I thought he was fucking nuts when he'd do this. Like he always like hunting in snow, he cleans up the blood. Like if, if you shoot a bird, you got five falling here and there, he would go over there and kick the snow and like conceal the blood splotches. I was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? He's like, geese can see that blood splotches that's a sign of danger i was like you're fucking crazy but no no joe's seriously fucking right and just using dead geese at sleep, as sleeper shells is kind of a part of that that same issue that joe was well, adamant and he made he actually made a believer out of me well i just said a thought that just came into my head that could be a good case against using dead birds as sleeper shells body posture is a huge communication skill when it comes to these birds oh, oh yeah and especially i don't geese. care how you position them with their head tucked under the wing they do not look like a sleeper shell Plus, they're flat and listless and their heads all cocked off to the side yeah and for them they're picking up on visual cues and body posture of other geese and they're looking at that goose they could probably tell it's fucking dead it's not because it doesn't look like a live sleeping goose it's not helping your hunt let's put it that way no. you can still I decoy birds over dead sleeper geese all the time i'm sure you do but it's it's not helping. It's, it would fall under that category right, of that, an unlikely it, risk. Yeah, exactly. Is it helping? No. Is it potentially hurting? There's at least potential it's hurting you. So yeah, there's, why there's not no, eliminate it? Why not go to a zero hurt? Right, yeah. There's a very, very low chance it's going to hurt your hunt. 
but a chance. Right. So a chance that can be eliminated. And, I mean, being a successful hunter is in combination getting rid of all of those potential, you know, they add up to a lot. So you know, it was on the Meat Eater podcast, but they had like this meat expert on basically. I think it was like a butcher. And um, it actually was a, like a meat scientist. Um, and one thing would be interesting to try, and you you need like the refrigerator space. You need like a you know. A, You're talking a about aging, beer aren't fridge. You? Not so much aging in the sense of aging, but letting letting it go through the rigor process. Okay. If you if you because what happens if you breast or deep you debone meat before it's gone through the rigor process, it's still going to go through the rigor process. So it's going to contract. That that breast meat on a goose is going to get really tight. And then when it goes to relax, it doesn't really go back. It stays. So that meat's going to be a little tougher. What happens that. when you let, when you keep it attached to like the breastbone and let it go through the rigor process, it's going to want to contract, but it can't because it's still connected to the bone via tendons and other connective tissue. So then when it finally relaxes out of rigor and it's, that makes you me can, think of, you uh, can move it around again. It's still in the original shape and it hasn't compacted into this little ball. Then weird. you, then you take it off of the bone and it doesn't shrink. And so that meat is going to be so much more tender than the one you took off of the, the breast before it went through the rigor process. Like one time, uh, me and my brother did this really great migrator hunt and uh, we got back to his place and uh, we started cleaning some birds and there's this just one particularly beautiful adult Canada goose and we opened them up and we're like, look at that meat. So right away we fired up the grill mm-hmm. and um, we're like, we're going to eat him right now. And uh, it was the toughest fucking goose. <laughs> I mean, this meat was just gorgeous, red, fibrous not a pellet in it. The bird looked like it couldn't have been any healthier and like we couldn't chew it. It was insane. I've never really had a goose do that, but it would. It was something we killed that morning, cut it immediately off the bone and yep. put it on a grill. I wonder yeah. if it went through the you, rigor process. No, I bet you cooked it while it was in rigor. So I bet you was, we did too. So it was tough. We were so confused by that because <laughs> people always say geese are tough as boot leather and I'm like, well, I've had one. Yeah. I've had one goose that was tough as boot leather, and it was that gorgeous. Wow. And they are tough if you cook them well done, which is the and we didn't going to taste terrible. We didn't. Yeah, like we thought we did everything right, but I never considered rigor. So one thing I've been thinking of doing, and maybe I'll try to do it this year, is like not legitimately breasting them out, but like just pulling the breastplate out, uh huh, keeping the meat attached to the breastplate, and then just let putting that. In my beer fridge for a day, and then and then deboning it the next day. You can do that really easily too with like a tin snips. You just cut where the shoulders attach, yep, and yep. then just slide a, a fillet knife or up you the could ribs. Even, you could even put them. You know, once you just have the breast, you could they would fit in a cooler pretty easy too on ice. Either way, just like letting that, you know, and and the size of the animal kind of dictates to the time, you know. And I suppose you could probably find it, you know, on a, on a internet search. You know the time you you know how long it takes a goose to go through the rigor process because obviously it's going to be different for a deer, right? It's a bigger piece of muscle. It's going to take longer for that whole process to right. I mean, sometimes you pick up those out. geese and like their heads stick out straight because yeah. they're so rigged out. Right, right. I mean, that's the other thing too is you can just keep them whole until you know pick them up. Are they stiff? All right, well, don't clean them up yet. And then you pick them up, you know, another hour later, and everything is loosey goosey, <laughs> loosey goosey. Then I get it. Right, and then. That would be the time to clean it. Yeah. All right. Now is, but 
the caveat to that is you do that early season when it's the high of 85 degrees, you probably don't want to leave them whole. They're going to start rotting right away. So you need to, you're going to have to cool them down somehow, either, either gut them and pack them with ice or however you want to do it. But I think the keeping the breastplate thing, I think that'd be worth trying just to Definitely see if you, if you notice, because it would be pretty, I mean, you could do it. You could take birds you shot at the exact same time, breast one right away, leave one on the breastplate right away, throw them in the beer fridge. The next day, cook both of them up and see, and you should be able to easily do a, a quick taste test. Right. Well, we have a lot of new water around. I think that's going to bode well for the teal hunters. Yeah, it could with the, the heavy downpours we've got. I, right now, really teal helped. are migrating. A lot of them are in Mexico already. But, I mean, the ones that are still coming, they're going to be going to that shallow wetland areas, and we have quite a few of them. In fact, I just was driving past uh, the Lamprey Pass WMA, which you can see off of Interstate 35. Yeah. Shit, tons of wild race. Fuck, man, it's beautiful yeah. out there. I even, uh, I was just screwing around since you can hunt in Carlos Avery. I went down to the boat ramp there. A few blue-winged teal flew right over me. It's like, yeah, man, I bet the teal hunters are going to have a, pretty good go at it actually yeah. like Speaking for, of for which, our first teal season if you were planning on doing the teal season on leech lake don't do it in fact you can't do it they just really had the announcement i think it was like two days ago maybe three tops but the leech lake band of uh, ojibwe uh just released because they, they kind of govern that it's a an open reservation but they control the the land up there they have the rights to like the wild rice and they're all going to be wild racing this this weekend so no teal hunting on leech lake huh so man i want, I want to do yeah. that rice hunting too been talking about it. i might i might do it this year but like i need to borrow somebody's aluminum canoe <laughs> and you do need to use a canoe right yeah like, that, yeah uh, yeah there's when you get into the regs of, of wild rice harvest it's crazy like your boat has to be certain dimensions your like stick you use to knock the seeds off the stock has to be certain dimensions it's it's kind of crazy there is actually a limit. There's only so many pounds per person you can harvest, and there's a license. You gotta buy a license for it. Right. Um, so yeah, if you're thinking about doing it, just don't run out and do it. But, but I think I, I think I'm just optimistic about this season in general. Um, I'm just I'm just happy to be out doing it again. It was it was I a blast to go play with my toys. Yeah, I just hope we don't have the roller coaster weather like we had last year. I think that's what kind of messed up. Hey, how good did the fucking cart work today? <laughs> There's some tweaking we need to do, but yeah, up that big steep hill, yeah. Yeah, was... I, I went and talked to the landowner, and I was like, uh, so, I mean, uh, is driving out there okay? And in the back of my head, I'm like thinking, yeah, please, please say, say no. Please say no. Please, please say no. Please I want to play no, with my new no. cart. Please Which, say no. The first time like, ever ah, you know, a goose hunter is like, please say he's no. He's like, I'm sure, I'm sure if you drove out there, it wouldn't be a problem, but... Uh, I usually tell guys don't drive out there. You, All right, yeah, you've said enough. I won't. I and won't. you totally couldn't because that the like field edge road that obviously they were driving up and down on it. Oh, we because totally they were like watering. That was dirt. There wasn't even anything growing there. They had their yeah, big we could have totally done it. Easily driven straight there, but, but I, then I wouldn't have played with my toy. Exactly. <laughs> and I do think you should try to come up. You should MacGyver some rig up there on that for your little uh, your uh, yeah one issue your accelerator. That, one issue we found with the electric bike wheel is it. It doesn't like to go two miles an hour. <laughs> it wants to go ten fuck. Like, you just touch the trigger and it fucking goes. Yeah. Like, so just how it was pulling me down my driveway. Like, now it feels like when it was all loaded with gear, it's like I got a 300 fucking pound dog pulling me <laughs> down the field. 
And uh, uh, I think which I could be do. worse. I could be pushing the 300 pound cart up a fucking hill. Right. But uh, it it was uh, not as easy as I would say. If you, if if I could just find that sweet spot, or like you said, put a governor yeah, on it or a set screw. Yeah, just some sort of like uh, hard stop, tie. hard stop plate where you can't can't go can't go past it and then you could have like a set screw underneath it so you could just dial it into that exact yeah, right I mean, amount of pressure to a, get the speed you want it's a fucking thousand dollar bike wheel that wants to do 19 miles an hour <laughs> right right right, right. <laughs> no, i think that i think if you think about it you can come up with a system that would work pretty good you said something pretty cool too just like get a cart with four wheels on it and then put one of those on each side and have a pedal system so just uh, for steering, and then just sit on top of it and yeah. steer your way out into the or field. Or you have, like, like I said, just buy buy someone's old Segway that doesn't work anymore, and just keep it in neutral, and just stand <laughs> on it, and it'll just pull you through. <laughs> <laughs> just some way that I get rid of this whole walking bullshit. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm uh, never breaking a sweat again. I mean, the honker hauler cart was a game changer. I really could get a lot of equipment out into a field a lot easier. Now I've got an electric wheel. It's even easier yet. Now it's like, how do I get rid of all this fucking walking and pressing a button I have to do? Like, I don't, it's just no end to this shit. God, you're lazy. <laughs> Proudly. <laughs> Proudly. But then he goes and works out, so explain that to me. Well, I did work out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like doing work, but I'm going to go in here and lift heavy things and sweat a lot. I like having a nice looking wife, so it's not the money or the goose calls keeping her around, I'll tell you that much. Or this average size wiener. It's or big what? for it's big for a 5'7 guy, I'll say that. Not big not big for a human, but for a 5'7 guy, I'm alright. Oh, oh, oh she liked those early morning wake-up calls. You like to dance the, around. The first of the month. Bone thugs and harmony, first of the month, every first of the month. She's actually down for the cause on making funny vi- videos and That's she always good. nails it yeah she does seem like a pretty good support for that but, yeah all right we're at our rendezvous point so there it is thank uh we have to thank boss ammo boss ammunition we almost tested it we out today some. <laughs> no i've tested it out a lot of times and i've shot bismuth my whole life yeah. guys if you've never googled bismuth pellet count per ounce bismuth um ballistic statistics you have to look at that and just be like yeah that's that's why that's why when people say like i tried that boss it it seemed to work okay like are you kidding me like the the ballistic statistics are mind-blowing it's worth every single penny to not pick up cripples to not chew on pellets and to not waste birds by losing them the 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 numbers of birds that are crippled in this country is mind-boggling and as just a good waterfowler, good sportsman. It, we owe it to the birds to do what we can to shoot cleanly, kill, recover everything we got. Look into Boss Ammo, and uh, it's otherwise it, you, it, there's Boss and there's Tungsten, which is better. And they have a Tungsten, but Tungsten is better. But it's five dollars a round. Boss is like one. Like it's just the only economical way, and it is economical. Just that we can do what we can to to uh protect our protect protect our resources and do do right by the birds i think you just like saying ballistic statistics ballistic statistics <laughs> easy for you to say i fucked it up but all right man yeah that's it we'll uh see you next week good luck everybody out there be safe don't shoot each other in the face